Good morning and happy Sabbath once again. I wish you a blessed Sabbath day filled with uh, joy, with the joy of the Lord, <clears throat> and with uh, peace and good health. Uh, today we are going to talk about something that I think is, uh, is appropriate as we near the, the end of the year. And it's the idea of... Uh, where is God in our lives, right? And as we collect our thoughts about what happened throughout the year, and as we prepare for the upcoming year, uh, so how is our relationship with God, and what's the place that God has in our lives? But before we do that, I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer. Please bow your heads as we ask for God's direction. Father, we thank you. And we praise your name that you have brought us here safely today. We thank you, Lord, that we have so uh, good conditions to worship your name and to fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for the freedom we still have in this country to open up scripture and study and preach it. And we ask, Lord, that you may help us to make good use of this freedom at this time. Help us, Lord, to be focused. Help every person here. If there is anyone facing any uh, illness or anything that maybe is making them uncomfortable, we ask, Lord, that you may, you may heal us, you may ease our pain. That you also bless, Lord, any, anyone who is worried about something. Uh, please help us, Lord, to leave that aside and focus on your word. I ask for every precious child here in this church, be with them. They, may they also, Lord gain something from this service as they grow up in your ways. We ask for our loved ones. And above all else, I ask you, Lord, that you may use me as your instrument. That you may uh, anoint my lips, that every word I say may be seasoned with your love and with your grace. <coughs> it may find, <coughs> it may find a special place in our hearts this morning. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, sorry, this may happen a couple times during the service, but God is good and uh, everything will be all right. A mother ha was calling her five-year-old son to come for dinner. And uh, those who have children maybe never experienced what this mother did. She called once and there was no response. She called twice, there was nothing. She called three times and still nothing. And she was getting upset with that. And maybe you've never experienced this. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Thank you. Maybe you never experienced this, but this mother was getting upset. And she called a fourth time and still no response. She called a fifth time and nothing. And at this point, she said, I got to go out there and see what's happening. Why doesn't he respond? Why doesn't he say anything? Why doesn't he obey me and come for dinner? And she goes out there and she finds little Albert looking at the sunset. And she says, what's going on here? I've called you five times for dinner and you haven't responded. And the young boy says, but mother, forgive me. I heard, you, I heard you only three times, not five times. And besides, I'm watching God put the world to bed. 
And this reminds me of something that happened in the Bible. As Isaac was waiting for Eliezer, Abraham's uh, servant, to go out and find a wife for him, for Isaac. And Isaac, it was the end of the day, was uh, the sunset time, and he goes out into the field. That's what the Bible says in Matthew, in Genesis 24. He goes out into the field to meditate upon God. And as he looks up toward the mountains, and looking at the sun setting there, he sees a caravan coming. And he realizes that's Eliezer with his soon-to-be wife. And so every time we, as this young boy in the story, and as Isaac, every time we spend time to meditate upon God, good things happen. Maybe the young boy was scolded by his mother, but she realized that he was doing a good thing, thinking about God. And Isaac was anxious about waiting for his wife. Who is going to be this lady that is going to come and be my wife? And as he meditates upon God, he looks upon the hills, he sees that the blessing is just coming. And Jesus is saying to his uh, hearers, to his disciples, he's saying, why should you be anxious? Why should you be concerned about this or about that? Why should you be concerned about the food you're going to eat? Why should you be worried about the clothes you're going to, to wear? Isn't your body more important than the food? Isn't your body more important than the clothing itself? Don't worry about those things because God knows that you need all those things and He's going to take care of you. But what you should be doing, what you should be doing is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. I might as well finish the sermon here because that's the message. That's the essence of the message. Not to be worried about anything because if you put God first, He's going to take care of you. But uh, it would be a very early lunch, so I'll continue on, right? For a few minutes more. Uh, for the next three Sabbaths, we're going to be talking about this whole idea. And I think this is... This is a good time to do these things, to reflect upon our relationship with God as we prepare for the year that's coming. And so today I'm going to talk about this idea of having God first in our lives. Next Sabbath we are going to be talking about this precious gift of Jesus. For unto us a child is born. Jesus came not only to be born as a child, but He came to live a life of service. He came to work for others. He came to ultimately lay down His life for you and for me. And then on the 21st, we are going to be talking about if we put God first in our lives, if God is first and foremost, what will be the signs that these, the signs in our lives that will express, will manifest that we have this commitment to putting God first in our lives. So over the next uh, three Sabbaths, uh, today and the next two, we'll be talking about these things. And we are now closer to the end of 2019 than we are to its beginning. Right? We are very close to the end of the year, uh, a lot closer to the end than we, were to, to, we are to the beginning. And in fact, if you think about it, even on January 2nd, even on January 2nd, you could say that you are closer to the end of the year 
Because you'd never ever be able to go back to January 1st. That is past. It's over. We have to look forward to the future. And so we're coming to the end of the year. And this is the time where people start to reflect and think about their lives. Reflect about the year. How has the year been? And what have they been able to, to accomplish? What they have gone, gone through uh, throughout the year? What have they become throughout the year? To reflect upon one's accomplishments and one's failures. To reflect upon one's uh, successes and one's losses. In the foreword, in the introduction to the book, The Desire of Ages of Helen White, we find these words that I find very poetic and very powerful. In the heart of every human being, no matter their origin or status in life, there are deep, inexpressible longings for something they do not now possess. This longing is implanted in their very constitution by a merciful God, that they may not be satisfied with their present conditions or achievements, whether bad or good or better than someone else. God desires that the human beings seek not the better, but the best, and that seeking it, they shall find it to their eternal blessing. That's what God wants for you. That's what's, what God's desire is for you. That you may find the best. And the best is the salvation. The best is redemption in Jesus Christ. And this may be the right time for you to reflect upon these things. Are your needs being met? Are those longings inside of you being satisfied? Are you finding the peace that Jesus, Jesus promised in the Bible? Are you finding it for your life? Are you coming to the point where you feel the real sense of worth that you have in God's eyes? One of the basic tenets of Christianity is that God's love as manifested in Jesus Christ can satisfy all the longings of the human beings. That's what Christianity claims. And that's what the Bible says. That's why Christians claim that. And if that's God's word, my question is, are you being able to, to satisfy the longings of your soul? And so it may be appropriate to ask ourselves now, how is our personal relationship with God? Beyond the few hours that we spend here together in church, Beyond the moments we come here for the Sabbath school uh, quarterly study, beyond the time we sit here and listen to a sermon on Sabbath morning, how is our personal relationship with God? How is your, how is your relationship with God when you wake up and throughout all the hours of your day, with all the business of life and everything you have to look at, how is your personal relationship with Him? When, when you finally come back home and go into your bedroom and prepare to, prepare to lie down to rest, how is your relationship with God? Have you grown in this relationship with Him in 2019? The Apostle Paul in the, in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul invites us to take seriously his words when he says, 
Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And so it's up to you and it's up to me to examine ourselves. I can visit with you as pastor. I can talk to you on the phone. I can ask you how you are doing. But I'll never be able to read your thoughts. I'll never be able to read your heart and your mind. It's up to you between you and God to examine yourself. To see as Paul says whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourself. And realize that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless of course you fail the self examination test so my primary aim with these messages is to help us reflect on our Christian journey to see how this idea of having God first and foremost how this idea permeates all the key areas of our existence if I asked you if I were to ask you what does a vehicle need to go to to run I think, does it need gas or maybe diesel? It needs, it needs fuel, right? So a vehicle needs fuel. Nobody seems to agree with that. Is that true? Okay. So a vehicle needs fuel to be able to run. And so you cannot simply, you know, go inside the car and start the engine and start out driving and never, never be concerned about stopping at the gas station and filling up. At some point, you would have to do that if you want to keep the car running. And so you start driving the car, and when it's time, you go up and you fill up, and you are able to continue driving the car. But is that all that the vehicle needs to be able to run? Is, is it only fuel? No. There is more that, that the vehicle needs. And what we do normally is that we take the car in for a checkup. We want to make sure that everything else besides fuel is in place and is working. Likewise, in our lives, it's not only coming every week, every Saturday, every Sabbath to church to fill up your tank. And you go home feeling fed and you feel well and satisfied because you're fed by God's word. But then there is a number of other things that you need to check up on a constant, on a regular basis. To make sure that your vehicle will never stop. And when you need it the most, that's when sometimes the vehicle will fail you. And so, so that will not happen in your spiritual experience. I invite you to check yourself up. I invite you to come before the Lord and examine yourself and see whether or not you are in the faith. And to help us in this checkup, we'll turn to our scripture reading for today. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. But for now, we're going to focus on verse 33. In verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This text should help us in our exploration, in our self-checkup, whether or not we are in the faith. And the text says, seek first. 
And my question is, are we actually in a position where we are supposed to put God first? Are human beings really in a position where they can put God first in their lives? I would say no, in the sense that first is the place where God already belongs. First is the place where God already is, whether you recognize it or not. So I do not have the ability to put God in the first and foremost place because that's his place. He's sitting there at the throne of the universe. And he's the one who is the sovereign of this universe. So God is first already. It is a matter of whether or not I recognize that in my life. It is whether or not I follow the words of Jesus that rather than putting God first, I'm going to seek first because God is already there. And I have to seek. I have to look up and go up to Him because that's His position. I have to acknowledge that. I have to recognize Him as the one who is the first in this universe. When you want to complete a, a puzzle game, for example, each piece should, have, should be in its right place. That's a basic principle of completing a puzzle. And so the same is true for the puzzle of your lives. You may find yourself puzzled by things that happen to you. You don't know quite to resolve those things. You don't know which piece goes where. But unless God is in the right place, which is the first place, your life will remain incomplete. And so in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus is presenting God first as the antidote to the fears prevailing in society today. In Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus says that people are fearing about their basic needs. Therefore, I tell you, he says in verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Because God is the provider. Jesus mentions that people are worried about their personal worth. And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Yes, we are. We are sons and daughters of, the, of God. Amen. Jesus talks about people who have fears about things that are out of their control. And maybe you found yourself in that situation. You would like to be able to control certain things over which you would never have control. You can never have control about the decisions that other, others make. You can never have control about certain things in life. And so why worry about them? Jesus says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, you can't. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God controls the circumstances. And so Jesus, in his words to, to the disciples here, he's not minimizing the worries of life. He's not saying there is nothing for you to be worried about. He's recognizing that there are things that will make us worried in this life. That's just our human nature along with the, the, the reality of this world and the evil that there is in this world. So Jesus is recognizing that. He's not denying that. He's not minimizing the sources of worries 
that invade a human's life. But he's pointing to the adequate strategy. He's saying, seek God first. A.W. Tozer, a, uh, an American a pastor and author who passed away. Actually, he's American. He was American. He passed away here in Toronto. Uh, he made a similar statement when he said, As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. You may have heard of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a prominent baseball player back in the, in the early 1900s. And he converted to Christianity at some point in his life. And the story goes on to say that when he came and joined the church, the Christian church, a Christian man put his arm on the young man's shoulder and said, William, there are three simple rules I can give you. And if you hold to them, you will never write backslider after your name. First, take 15 minutes each day to listen to God talking to you. Then take 15 minutes each day to talk to God. And, they, and then take 15 minutes each day to talk to others about God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty basic. Yet, sometimes we struggle fighting those 15, 15, 15 minutes in those 24 hours that God gives us. But Billy Sunday was deeply impressed with those words. And he determined to make these the rules of his life. From that day on, throughout his life, he made it a rule to spend the first moments of his day alone with God and in his word. Before he read a letter, before he looked at a newspaper, or even before he read a telegram, he went first to the Bible so that the first impression of the day might be what he got directly from God. This is a good counsel. This is a good strategy to follow. And I know that in the church, you may have heard this many, many times over. But here is my appeal to you. That to make God first in your life every day. That before you set your eyes on reading anything else, you spend time reading the word. And if your day is too busy... Uh, try waking up half an hour earlier then. Try starting your day a little bit earlier. Because you see that whatever message you gain from the Bible will help, help you direct your actions throughout the day. And this is an exercise I encourage people to do. You don't have to read five chapters maybe that morning. You can read even one verse. And carry the message of that verse with you throughout the day. And whenever things come at you, whenever challenges come, you remember that one verse you meditated about. And the Lord will help you make an application of that verse to the circumstance you find yourself in. Sometimes you may spend one hour or two hours reading the Bible. And... Uh, it may be just a cursory reading. You may not be able to apprehend things. And all of a sudden after that lengthy reading of the Bible. You find yourself in a situation where you lose your temper. 
Because we were just reading the Bible, we were not meditating upon the message, we were not gaining anything. So we spend quality time reading the Bible. Even if it's only one verse, even if it's only three verses, only one chapter, spend quality time and ask intentionally the Lord to help you apply that throughout your day. And I can guarantee you that the Lord will allow situations where you can apply the truths of what you have just read. But you go out prepared. You go out feeling ready. You go out feeling ready that you can face whatever comes because the word of the Lord is in your heart. And so Jesus is saying, make life simpler. Make life, easy, make life easier. Seek God first. But what is our intention when we seek God? Do we seek God as, you know, only when we, we need assistance? There is the, the, the legend, the story of, the, of Aladdin in, the, in the, the bottle, right? That he would, uh, he would uh, use the bottle and call up the genie when he needed to say, Is this how we address God? When you find yourself in a situation and you say, Whoa, what am I going to do? Well, this is the time to look for God. Or are you willing to spend quality time with God so that you may be prepared whatever the situation is? In Matthew 6.23, Jesus qualifies the one God we should be looking for. The one God we should be seeking first. Jesus uses two words in Matthew 6.23. He says, seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. There are two words that Jesus uses there. The kingdom and righteousness. So the God that Jesus encourages you to seek is a God who has a kingdom. What does it mean? Well, the gospel of Matthew is also called the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is presented as something here, as something present, and also as something in the future. The kingdom of God is, according to Matthew, a literal place. The kingdom of God is a manifestation of God's righteousness, peace, and joy. Above all things, the kingdom is the reign of a king. And so the kingdom, the, the God you're encouraged to seek is the king of the universe. Ellen White wrote about these two dimensions of the kingdom in the Great Controversy, page 347, when she says, As used in the Bible, the expression kingdom of God is employed to designate both the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory. It's the kingdom of grace because God surrounds you with His grace and with His love. It is the kingdom of glory because the next great superpower that's coming up is Jesus Himself that will be installing His everlasting kingdom. So to put God first is to put a king first in your life. Many people want to have salvation. Many people come to Jesus looking for the Savior. And they submit their lives to Jesus and they say, I accept you as my Savior, as the Savior of my life. But the other side of the coin is that Jesus wants to be his, your Savior, but He wants to be the Lord of your life as well. And allowing Jesus to be your Savior only, but not the Lord of your life, will take you nowhere. Because you may be saved today, but going forward, you don't know where to go. Jesus has to be the Lord of your life. God is the King. And this truth 
must have practical implications in our lives. If we are willing to accept God as a kingly God, we must be willing to accept His direction in all aspects of our lives. In all aspects of our lives. And so when the Lord says that one day a week you should set aside for a special communion and relationship with Him, you would do it gladly because He is the King of your life. When God, when God asks you that you, when He moves your heart and asks you to participate in the church work and to be involved, you do it because He is the King of your life. And the Bible tells you that you must... Uh, Return your, uh, help the church with your finances, return your tithe and with offerings. You will do that not because it's an obligation, but He is the King of your life. When the Lord calls you and sends you out on a mission trip, you are not looking at the trials and tests of the trip. You are doing that because He is the King of your life. In His prayer, Jesus associates both elements. God's kingdom and His authority. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So God's kingship has to affect all the areas, all the spheres of your life. But Jesus talks about the kingdom and He also talks about the righteousness of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And as human beings, we have this dilemma of trying to put God first while we are naturally separated from Him. Because Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that you will not hear. And this is the struggle we find ourselves in. That our nature, our human nature, naturally is bent uh, toward going away from God. But we want to put Him first. We want to allow Him to be the first in our lives. God's righteousness is essential then. Because without His righteousness, we are not even able to put God first. To seek Him first. God's righteousness plays two functions. And we were actually just talking about this this past Wednesday, those who were here at prayer meeting, may, uh, but the Bible study may remember this. That God's righteousness serves two purposes. One is to save you. And the other is to transform you. If you are saved, you are not let alone. Jesus saves you, but He walks along with you and He changes you. He cleanses you. He transforms you. He brings in a change of character that is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the Apostle Paul speaks about this, this uh, entire, this whole transformation. The saving righteousness of God in 2 Corinthians 5 to 21. When he says, God made him, him who? Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And elsewhere, he, Paul describes God's transforming righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, when he says, And that's what some of you were in the past, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The transforming righteousness of God does not only modify external actions, but it alters interior motives. For it is God, says Paul again, who works in you to will and to to act in order to fulfill His good measure, His good purpose. Philippians 2.13 The God we are called to seek first is both the kingly God and the righteous one who saves us from all unrighteousness. And there are some practical implications with that. There are some practical implications when we seek a God who is righteous and who provides righteousness. God first is not, a, is not only for clean slate believers. Past failures should not keep, keep anyone from embracing a God first life. And God first is not only for superheroes in the spiritual realm. God empowers people to live God first lives, lives. And so when I come here this morning and tell you, try it. Use, make an experiment. Spend quality time early in the day with God. Spend quality time early in the day in God's word. I'm challenging you to do that because it is God himself who is going to empower you. Now there will be days you will wake up and you look at your schedule and see the day is pretty full. And you think there is no way I can spend time with God. Try doing it. Make an effort to do it because your day will pan out completely different. Your day will be a blessing because you have spent time with God first. If we adopt this idea of having God first, who is a king, who is the righteous one, our life will spare ourselves from frustration, will spare ourselves from failures in our lives. What is the solution to the puzzle you may find yourself in in your life? Surrender yourself to God. He will recreate you in His image. Just this morning I was overhearing some comments at Sabbath school lesson study and someone said well you can do this you can do that you can try to protect yourself but the truth is that if you don't trust the Lord because ultimately it's the Lord who will guard you it's the Lord who will protect you and so you may have a day that is filled with commitments filled with appointments you may look at your week and see I don't know how I'm gonna make it this week well you must find time to Spend with God first. Because none of that will really work out well if you don't spend time with God. I may have said this at least ten times here today. And I'll say another one. You must spend time with God early in the morning before anything else. Because that's what's going to give direction to your day. When you go to a place you don't know well. You want to make sure that you punch in the address on your GPS, right? Whether it's a, uh, a standalone device or you're using your phone, you're punching the address there. You make sure you follow the directions of the GPS because you're going to a place you don't know. And so let me ask you, do you know everything that's going to happen to your day when you wake up in the morning? 
None of us does really. You may have an agenda, you may have a schedule, but things may turn out completely different. And you don't know how things are going to turn out. And so before you venture out in your day, <clears throat> before you go out to this adventure in, 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 in unknown land, you must chart the territory first. You must first sit with the Lord and ask, Lord, guide me. You must get those directions from God's spiritual GPS. Stop first. Read the Bible. This may be one more time I'm saying this. And this will give direction to your day. You know my brothers and sisters. When you do that day by day. And you decide to spend time with God today. Uh, God will help you throughout the day. And that's the reason why you should not be worried about tomorrow. Because once that becomes your practice. Tomorrow you're going to do the same thing. And that's what's that one of the, the deep things that Jesus tried to say there. Why worry about tomorrow? Live your life with God today. Seek Him first today. So tomorrow it will be the same thing. And the day after tomorrow the same thing. Because that's how you've learned to live your spiritual life. And no matter what, the Lord will prepare you. The Lord will make sure that you are prepared. Test the Lord. Make an experiment with Him. He will never ever fail you. We've been studying this quarterly. The lives of, and, the, and the, the stories and the life stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. And everything surrounding the lives of those men. And the, the period of time where they lived and the experiences of the people of Israel. When they returned from captivity in Babylon and Persia at that time. And we've been studying that. And we've studied that they made a covenant. That they came together and they actually signed. They put their names there. They sealed their names in that covenant. And they made a covenant. And uh, the Bible says it was an oath of, uh, of death. Right? Is that the, the, the expression? I believe. That, you know, they were, they were uh, uh, vowing for their own lives. If, if we are not faithful to this covenant, I mean, I, I deserve death. And we look at that and we find that beautiful. We find that powerful. But I wonder what is preventing us from taking the same commitment for the benefit, for the good of our own lives. Like I said, coming to church every Sabbath is a blessing that I look forward to. But we need to be checking up our oil. We need to be checking up every single detail of our vehicles every day of our lives. And we need to make sure that before we go out for the day, we are ready for it. And we don't have it on our own. We have to seek that first from God. And He will make us citizens of His kingdom. And He will make you and I righteous in His sight. So that we can go forward and be victorious in life. I pray that the Lord will help you take this message to heart. I pray that the Lord will help me. Take this message to heart. That as we prepare to go into 2020. Something different will happen in our lives. That will make a different and more serious commitment to God. To seek Him first. And He promises that everything will be different in our lives.